You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have Dr. Joe Tector. He's a director of the Xeno Transplant Program. Uh, we're going to be talking about what Xeno transplants are and his work. So, uh, Dr. Tector, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, uh, first, before we get into it, what is the Xeno transplant? Is that a transplant from one creature to another? It's, from, it's a transplant from one species to another species, so it's a different species. Um, okay. When you, when you transplant from a person, uh, one person to a different person, that's an allograft. Um, and if you transplant from the same person, it's an isograft. Um, so okay. Xenograft is just foreign, means it means a different species. Oh, interesting. I didn't even know something like that was possible. So what? Um, so you actually do xenotransplants, or are you just studying them? Like, what is your work about? So we are doing, um, we are working to make it possible for people to receive uh, genetically modified pig organs instead of human organs. So if you look at the landscape in transplant, and I'm going to, the situation is similar throughout the world, but I'm going to use the statistics for the U.S. And so in the United States, there's over 120,000 people waiting for organ transplants. Roughly 100,000 of those people are waiting for kidneys. There are many, many more people um, that are waiting um, that could get uh, or benefit from transplant that aren't uh, put on a list because they just don't feel like there's enough organs. So, I mean, the, the need is unbelievable. Um, so the problem is, is that you and I, if you were to put a pig organ into us, we would reject it within minutes because you and I have antibodies that bind to the sugars on the surface of the, the pig cells. And so... My work in my lab uh, with my team, and there are you know, teams throughout the world that are pursuing this, is trying to make it possible through the use of genetic engineering of the pigs and new types of immunosuppression of a recipient to be able to put pig organs into people in place of a human organ. Okay, and you said, all right, so out of all the organ transplants out there, kidneys are by far the one where there's the uh, most need and the fewest organs available? That's right. Yeah, actually, a friend of mine needs a kidney transplant. He had to go through a whole process and had to be vetted, and they had to make sure he's eligible. And he goes to, you know, he has to do all these things just to uh, be put on the list. So, yeah, I'm sure it's uh, it's, a, it's necessary, unfortunately, and it's a 
because there's not enough of them to go around. Yeah, it's a daunting process. There's no question about it. It would be very different so, if right. organs were available. So you want to, uh, all right, so you want to harvest pig organs and be able to transplant them into people. What are, you know, you said about organ rejection, what are some of the roadblocks or difficulties in doing that and how can you overcome them? Well, so currently the roadblock has been one uh, one single problem, and, and that is that you and I have antibodies to pig cells. And so those, those antibodies bind to the surface of the graft, and they uh, activate a system in the, in the blood called complement that sort of drills holes in the blood vessel lining cells, and it makes uh, blood, the blood clot in the organ, and so the graft uh, dies on the table. So there's a number of ways that you can get around um, this problem, and so what people have been doing lately is using the new genetic engineering tools. Um, specifically, people have been using the CRISPR-Cas system to delete genes, and so in my lab, we deleted three enzymes that are responsible for producing sugars that you and I, we have those enzymes in our body, but we deleted them during the course of evolution. And as a result of those deletions, we now make antibodies when we encounter those sugars, and we encounter those sugars when we're babies and our gut gets reconstituted with, with uh, bacteria or flora, so it's a normal process. And so the, the, that's how come we have antibodies that end up binding to the pixels. But so when you delete those sugars, with each deletion, the antibody binding to the pig cells that you and I have goes down. And so now we're at a point with the uh, three genes knocked out, uh, three out of 10 people on the wait list that we've tested, we've tested about 2,000, would have a negative uh, crossmatch, meaning that they don't have any detectable antibody to those pig cells. So that's the first barrier clear. Hmm. And so then the situation becomes it's that makes it much more like a human to a human transplant because if you were to get a kidney transplant from a, a relative or from somebody else, one of the last things they'll do is they'll take your blood and they'll make sure that you don't have any antibodies to the donor. And this is no different. The only difference is instead of the donor being another person or a dead person, a person that's recently died, it'll be a pig. And so now we're at the point where we have people that can probably receive these uh, kidneys without being, uh, without rejecting them on the table. And so they would need immunosuppression or drugs to suppress the immune system, just like you would for a human-to-human transplant. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Um, if you're able to do this, you know, with uh, with pig organs, why can't we apply this to human transplants so that there's no need for immunosuppressive drugs? Well, so we're a long way from not needing any immunosuppressive drugs in a xenotransplant, but the the issue with a um, why you can't do that in humans is when you get the human organ, that organ is already formed. Whereas with the pigs, we're able to take cells and modify those cells and then clone those cells so that the pigs are created and born with that in mind. And so once okay. once the organ is already formed, it's, the horse is kind of out of the barn at that uh, point if that makes sense. Right, unless you get 3D print an organ, but that's another pathway that's still being worked right, on. Right, that's another pathway. And at some point, um, you know, that might be very feasible, but currently that's not, you know, we're not able to do that to the uh, extent we'd need to to be able to, to do it clinically. Well, I heard that um, there are also viruses over time that have uh, worked their way into animal genes and into our genes. I don't know what they call them. but the So, so they're called retroviruses, and so... Sure. And so 
the we have retroviruses. There's human uh, endogenous retroviruses. There are pig endogenous retroviruses. And so, in the 1990s, late 1990s and early 2000s, there was a very big concern that um, that this porcine endogenous retrovirus, or PERV as it's called, would be uh, could infect people and cause a new disease in humans. And so that slowed progress down in the field tremendously. So over the last 15, 20 years, one of the things that's been sorted out very clearly is that people have started to figure out that hey, if you have um, if if you this porcine endogenous retrovirus, the first part is is it's been very hard to get it, and if not impossible, to get it to infect normal human cells. They have been able to get it in cells that are transformed or are altered, uh, but they have to do they have to get the two two of the three viruses, per A and C, to recombine. Um, and in addition, what because people have gotten so much more experience with pandemic viruses and new diseases, what they've learned is is that these uh, people have had a really long exposure to pigs. And so there's never been an instance where somebody was thought to have a disease from porcine endogenous retrovirus. In addition, this porcine endogenous retrovirus, or PERV, it's never been shown that that virus causes disease in a pig. And if it were to infect human cells, work from the FDA, actually from the FDA labs, has shown that porcine endogenous retrovirus is exquisitely sensitive to two classes of antiretroviral drugs. And so... At this point in time, I think the feeling in the xenograft community, um, and, and I think the regulatory bodies will, will likely agree, is that PERV is unlikely to be a, a serious threat. And so um, you, you mentioned George Church, and they, they knocked out um, the polymerase that makes the PERV. And it's a very nice piece of genetic engineering work. But I don't see that as something coming on the front end. I see that coming later on. If well, it comes good. at all. The, the fewer obstacles, the better, you know? Correct. No, that's right. All right. So you, you've been able to knock out these antibodies. Um, I mean, how do you even test whether this will work? So we, I mean, it's not antibodies. We've knocked out the sugars that the antibodies sugars. bind to. So you still have the antibodies, but these pigs just don't have those sugars for it to bind to anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, I misspoke. So sugars. Well, that's okay. Um, but how would you how would you test that this will work? Because I don't think the uh, uh, I don't know if you'll be allowed to just you know round up some people that need organs and put pig organs in them. So how do you get to the point where you sure. know if this so, is going to work or not and then test it? Well, yeah, you can do cross matching assays like you do for human to, uh, human transplants, um, and and then you can also test uh, the pig organs in a, in a small number of non human primates, um, and so. Um, you know, that's that's the work that's been done to move that forward. And so um, what we can say is we're you know able to keep uh, – so these kidneys have been able to keep um, rhesus monkeys alive from between 300 to 500 days. Okay, but they still have to have immunosuppressive drugs. Correct. It's, it's like it's yeah, it's like getting a tran- it's like getting a human to human transplant. And, and and I don't know if you saw the, the Germans published something in Nature about a week ago where they were able to get uh, baboons to live with a pig heart for uh, you know more than six months. So that which was a really exciting uh, piece of work. Um, if this works, why why are the uh, creatures only living you know six months or a year? What happens over time with these transplants? Well, so first off, you know, there's only so long um, that it needs that you need to to go to prove that it can work. Um, the other thing is these pigs are made for 
use in humans. So they're actually a better match for humans. And there are limitations to what you can do to take care of uh, the primate as compared to a human being. You can't draw blood all the time, so you, you can't monitor drug levels as carefully. I mean, there's there's a lot of different things that are that are challenges. That um, so in drug development, if you can uh, go six months in a in a preclinical model like that, that's usually uh, more than enough uh, convincing that that you can go ahead for a clinical trial. Yeah, and, so if, and if you were looking at human to human, go ahead. Yeah, even in human to human transplants, why do people have to take immunosuppressive drugs? Like, what goes on? And I well, so you, ignorant of it, but why? No, no, but so there's the the region of the body is called the major histocompatibility complex. Um, and in the in the um, human, it's called human leukocyte antigen, and the pig, it's swine leukocyte antigen. But if if your immune system is able to form antibodies, if they don't match exactly, and it's unusual for them to match exactly, then those different molecules signify the 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 body can start making. Um, so some either T cells can bind to it and cause a reaction, or you can make antibodies to it, and then antibody rejection is very hard to overcome. Yeah, I wonder if um, if by studying cancer, because cancer seems to mask itself, you know, in the body, so it doesn't look like a foreign object. If you could learn from those kind of cells to stop rejection of transplants, just the absolutely. But I think the first step in this process is to take a pig organ and make it so that we can treat the pig organ exactly like we treat a human organ for transplant. And then once everybody's able to get a transplant, then we look at it as, hey, we can start to become a lot more sophisticated or fancy, if you will, about how, we, how we're approaching this. But we're kind of looking at this, we have to walk before, or, you know, we have to crawl before we walk, and walk before we run. Yeah, that makes sense. So are you, what, at what stage are you at? You've done transplants into uh, primates, and they're living for quite a long time. And now, you know, are you at that point? And what's the next step? Yeah, so we're so we're we're getting to the point of where it's it's it might be reasonable to start considering, um, you know, moving forward to, to try this in a very limited fashion in, in people that are not going to get a kidney transplant. Well, what's required regulatory-wise in order to be able to do that? Like, what steps do you have to go through now? Well, so so there's a there's a formal process you have to go through with the uh, uh, in this country in the Food and Drug Administration. Um, you, know, you have to have several meetings before they'll uh, issue uh, an investigational new drug application uh, so that you can move forward with it. Um, you know, but yet before that, you have to be able to make these pigs. You have to have a specialized facility where you're able to. Uh, you know, raise the pigs in a fashion where they there's viruses that they're not allowed to have, um, and, and that's any kind of virus that's likely to infect a human. So on our list, that's probably 31 viruses I would, uh, off the top of my head. So you have to develop the assays to test for those, and we've done that. Um, then you have to be able to house them and make sure that they don't pick up those viruses, and you have to be able to... Uh, cross-match a person and say, this person does or doesn't have antibodies. And so we've, we've sorted that out. So now we're at the point where we're, we were trying to figure out exactly what we have to do. So then you have to get your institutional review board to approve it. You also have to get um, your FDA approval. And that's, you know, I think that's a new, no one's done that yet. So a lot of how that works is mapped out well, but um, some of it's still um, up in the air. What I will say is in the interactions that I've had at meetings and things with the FDA, they are very well informed and they are very, very helpful. So I'm optimistic about it. 
I heard that some other countries may have fast track. Are you considering trying to fast track it in another country first or go the path here instead in the U.S.? Um, currently, we, we're intending to do it in the United States. Okay. So um, I think it's very important for whoever wants to do this that they do it at an institution that they're very familiar with and they know how it runs and they understand how the hospital works because at the end of the day, while there's a lot of science involved and you know, there's a lot of other moving parts, it's the end of the day, this is still a kidney or going to be a transplant in a patient. And so you have to have a first-class transplant program um, at a first-class institution. And, and to, to do, do it somewhere will, where you're um, not very familiar, it's a problem. Yeah, do you think this will open up the door to a double kidney transplant? Because if you once you're able to do this, then you could probably have a surplus at some point, and then maybe you could do a double one instead of just a single one. You know, something that's absolutely right. That's something that uh, we wonder very much about. I think to start with, we are going to try and replicate the human-to-human -human transplant as close as humanly possible. But once we get through and figure that out, that's certainly something we're going to look into. Is should should people be getting to kidneys? What about an, an intermediary or intermediate step? Um, I guess like in dialysis, you know, they'll take blood and they'll take it out of your body and filter it and put it back in. Would it make any sense to, I don't know, have a creature set up where the blood comes out of the body, it gets filtered through a pig organ, and then goes back into the body. Would that do anything to make this a faster no, process? No, because the, the problem is you have to, we're over the early f hurdle, and so the next phase is it's not for a week or two, it's months and even you know years or at least a year or two. So I think that's going to be really hard to do that way. So we're at a point where I think we just are going to have to try it. I mean, if you look at the... Uh, and, some of the things that are going on around the world for transplant tourism, where, where people, you know, are giving up their kidneys for very little money, and they, you know, it's it's really really uh, tough and it's draconian. Some of the things that people are doing to try and uh, make themselves healthy again. So we, we really, I think we're at the point where we just got to try. So how long will it be if things go well until uh, this is actually approved and is happening? Um, in a very limited fashion, I would certainly think within two years. Within two and a half years, maybe three. So, so yeah, what work is years. okay? Well, be, it, besides jumping through the hoops and getting the regulatory stuff set up, what are you working on over these next two years? Like, what other things need to be done to uh, to get the process finalized? Um, you know, I think we're just double checking things, educating the people in your community, educating your hospital, uh, those kind of things. So you're focusing uh, just on kidneys, or are you going to be doing multiple organs? Like, well, we intend to do all of them, now. but we're going to start with a kidney. Okay, and then you, so you're going to do this like serially, like you're going to see if that yep. works first, and then if it does, move on to another organ. Yes. Um, is the reason so the reason you chose kidneys is because that's the most dire need, or is it an easier organ to transplant for some reason? So it's the most dire need, no question. But also, since we got a negative cross match. You know, if we do a kidney transplant and it doesn't work, we could remove it and put the person on dialysis so it doesn't result in the, a person dying. Uh, the other thing is, is if um, kind of the course of rejection and all that, it's better mapped out than some of the other organs. What do you mean it's better mapped out, like what happens during the rejection yeah, process? Yeah, 100%. Or, so know? it's able to, it's much, it's more easily understood. Oh, okay. I see. Well, so what's the hierarchy of transplant difficulty? So a kidney is not so bad. And there's a great need, you know, what would be next and what would be next after that? And what's more difficult? Quite possible. I think the heart is, uh, is okay. And then I think the liver comes in next. Um, and then I think, um, 
probably the lungs, and then the intestines probably last. And I think the pancreas is somewhere in the middle, um, but I, I think people expect to do islet transplants or cellular transplants rather than whole organs. So I, I, I kind of held that out. And are there, how many transplantable organs are there from pigs? Because you, could you transplant just about yeah, every organ we need, all. or are there yeah, only a think few? So. No, you take all of them probably work. Okay. No, interesting. Yeah, it sounds like hey, you know, we got it down. It's uh, we're just waiting. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. We're getting closer. It's, it's been a long time though. I mean, we've been working on this for years and years. So it's one of those uh, overnight successes that took you know ten, twenty years, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Are there um, is there a need to look at other animals, or is the pig that's going to be plenty? You know, you don't need to look elsewhere. Uh, well, it's, the pig has all the characteristics that you might look for. Number one, um, as far as they're you know used for food, so that's one barrier where people are used to you know using the, the pigs for human uh, benefit. Um, then pigs, you know, come in all sizes. They grow fast. They have uh, sizable litters. Um, they come in the size of the smallest human, the size of the largest human. Anatomically, they're similar. Physiologically, they're similar. The pig genome is well characterized. We're able to do a lot of genetic modifications to it. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons to go with a pig. So, I think that's probably going to be the animal of choice. It's got a low risk uh, for transmitting diseases to humans. Yeah, this is a weird question that occurred to me, but what if you're Muslim or what if you're uh, you know, Orthodox Jew and you don't eat pork? I mean, Yeah, you, you know, okay that's a great question. Medicine? It seems like everybody, every culture has a, has a clause that says, look, if it's to save a person's life, we're okay with it. Um, and so that's, that's been my basic understanding is that people are okay with it. Yeah, I was just wondering because uh, I wonder if that would be a big complication, but if they're okay with it, that's great, you know? Yeah, so far it looks like they've been okay with it. Okay, well, interesting. Um, so, what do you see as happening? I know that it looks like the two-year mark till this is being used on a limited basis. What's going to be happening over the next six months or a year with your work? Any uh, new developments that you're working on right now? Well, we're always trying to figure out what the we're trying to make it so that everybody has no antibodies to these pigs. So we're going to work on that, um, and, and we're sorting that out. And we're validating some of the tests that we're making for the. Uh, you know, for patients, you know, whether it's the cross-match assay, so we can, you know, validate that we're really good at picking up the whether or not you have antibodies to the pigs and what they bind to. Um, you know, we're validating the uh, viral testing, those kind of things. It, do you see that this affects the pigs at all themselves um, when you delete these uh, these sugars? No. And if you think about it, we're a great test for that. It's mammalian biology. We've, we've knocked those sugars out, and we're just fine. Okay. I just didn't know if it changed the pigs at all. Nope. They seem to be totally normal. Seem entirely normal. And is there a particular species of pig that works better than other species? And no, there's no magic pig. Stick? It's just a. It's got to have one that's got the the right uh, genetic makeup, as far as the genetic oh. engineering goes. Okay. I don't know if there's a certain breed that you're focusing on, and if you nope. use other breeds, that would cause too much complication. No. Okay. Well, very good. Um, so what's the best way for uh, folks to get in touch if they have questions and they want to find out more? You mean? You know, if they want to um, maybe read papers on your work or, uh, you know, speak to the uh, the company that you work with or, you know, just reach out in some way, ideas, collaboration, whatever it may be. You know, what's the best way uh, for people to get in touch? Do they just go to a website or how should they uh, find out more? Yeah, if they look on the web and at UAB, they can, they can uh, find it. Absolutely. There's some of the Transplant Society okay. websites. There's the International Xenotransplant Association website. It's, it's ICSA. Um, 
that's a website that has information. Okay, well, very good. Okay. Well, I appreciate coming on the podcast, and uh, I, I hope all. this works out. It's going to save a lot of lives. Yeah, we're optimistic. Thank you for your time. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.